it's much better, Gorchin, when people play it and find out what it does. Um, <laughs> and that, that's, um, a, that's a word to you as a player. Read your player's pack before you get to the event. <laughs> please, please read player's packs. Welcome to HMG. This is Jacob. Uh, this is the Historical Miniature Gamers Podcast, where we talk all things Bolt Action, and this is episode 20. Uh, and we're also celebrating our 500 subscriber on YouTube. So uh, if you do listen to us uh, on audio through Spotify, iTunes, etc., uh, we do have a YouTube channel. You can go find us, youtube.com slash Tabletop. We do all the HMG stuff there and just everything else hobby that we're all kind of into. So I'm Jacob and today I'm joined with... I'm Gorchin, one of your other co-hosts. And I'm Daniel. And uh, so what, what are we talking bolt action today, Dan? Uh, I think it's uh, a little bit different than our last few episodes. Yeah, so... Um... We previously have done some army review episodes, which have been, you know, quite good, but also quite long. We're going to dial it back a little bit and actually talk about what makes a good custom mission. Uh, what 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 is fun and enjoyable within a scenario? Um, so, if you're taking the standard missions within Bolt Action, uh, what are the different things that you can do to add flavor? Um, how do you go about creating? Uh, a, a mission that works for you yeah, individually. So uh, that's what largely our discussion is going to be around today. And we'll touch on things like, you know, is is it dependent on the terrain that you set up for the narrative and the aesthetics or the function? Is it about how you change deployment or do or don't include forward deployment or things like that? Um, does it is it something that you just apply limits to what forces can be brought? Um, is it how you score your victory points? Do you change up how victory points are even done? Uh, and then obviously the big one is how important is the fun factor? And we'll leave that one for the end because missions don't need to be fun, Dan. What are you talking about? Oh, you guys have played my missions. You know, they're not fun. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly during the army list building set, it's not fun. No, um, no. <laughs> um, so I think uh, really to push it and get it started is your mission needs to have it needs to have a clear objective. So you, you need to know what the mission is actually going to be about. So if you look at any of the ones that are in the Warlord Games uh, mission sets between uh, the standard battle missions or the attack and defender set, they have a clear objective of what you're trying to do, whether it be wipe out your opponent's units or capture and hold on an objective or escape off the edge of the board. Like it's a very, it's a very clear, you need to achieve this. Yeah, it's an interesting question when you uh, when you go ahead and design your own custom mission is is what type of mission do you actually want people to play? There's a couple that you've hit there, and it's it basically in my head it boils down to either board control, so you have to control a certain area of the board, or it's it's killing your opponent. And new to I guess bolt action, I haven't seen this in too many other war games. It's actually leaving your opponent's side of the, the field for double envelopment. That one's a bit bit unusual. But when it comes to um, board control, it probably sees ground is probably a better better phrase, just because when we talk about board control, we talk about things like 
holding a dominating position or, or controlling uh, area denial, controlling firing lanes and that sort of thing. So board control is probably more something that happens as the game goes on. So it'd probably be seize ground, kill your opponent or or basically get to a target area. The I guess the real challenge that, that I've always had sort of writing a scenario is you kind of want to do something different, but there's a reason it always comes back to those three. I think the one that maybe isn't explicitly included in that breakdown is something like uh, Top Secret, where you've got to grab something and then leave with it. But I think that one's kind of a, a first order derivative, right? You have to seize that ground in the middle and then you have to move to a particular point. So that's kind of what else you can do where you force, not force, but you incentivize your players to go to a particular area, do something and leave. I think one of the things that I'm, I find kind of interesting is that there seems to be a lack of interactive objectives in bolt action um, in the sense that there's no like, go here and do this, uh, you know, like set demo charges on a bridge or something like this. That usually, again, just boils down to who's holding it in, in the last turn. Jacob, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the different type of objectives you can get out there? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've pretty much labeled out a couple of categories here. Um, but I think the simplicity of sticking to those kind of frameworks is quite important. I, you know, uh, when I think about wanting to create a scenario myself, I think of it from a completely different perspective of what am I trying to recreate in a battle in my favorite movie and whatever else. And to do that well in a way, it can become very complex very quickly. And I'd want to, I would want to implement lots of objectives that do different things that you yeah. know, might be like spying in on radio and whatever else. Um, but I think the simplicity just needs to be there and it kind of needs to sit within those frameworks of... Is this holding a point? Is it something that can be achieved end of turn, end of game? Is it running off the edge? Is it just a kill point mission? And for the most part, when it's not at a tournament, I tend to prefer No Man's Land just right. to just to have a game. Uh, and and basically, I don't know. I, I might just be seeing it from a different mentality. I want to maximize my forces' killing power. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I and I I tend to enjoy that regardless of the mission anyway. Yeah, I, um, I can attest to that having been on the receiving end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess complexity makes it fun, but you need it to be simple enough that uh, it's achievable. And uh, it, you actually sort of touched on something interesting there. It's this concept I heard from um, video game design is that you want your game to be, or you want your mechanics to be simple, but you want them to have depth. And so yeah. a lot of people confuse complexity for depth and by, you know, depths of strategy or depth of tactical nuance. And I think, I think that's kind of the key takeaway is that yes, you look at the bolt action missions and the core rulebook ones, and they are quote unquote simple, but there is some, there's actually kind of a betraying amount of depth behind or the, the depths of strategy that's behind the simple missions. Now, the, the great thing we have in our scene is the, the last year or so, we have been playing rulebook missions with extra side objectives that yeah. has really, really yeah. completely changed um, the scope of the mission. And uh, I, I think 
yeah, if, if you guys are interested in that, let us know in the comments. We can share some of our players' packs that we've had yeah. before. Um, it will really uh, broaden the scope of just a no man's land or a sectors or something that yeah. you may have played 10 times before. Um, just adding in one or two small little things can really change that. So that might actually be a good starting point for those who aren't quite sure how to create their own mission from yeah. scratch. Well, what I've done, sorry, what I've done with, with I've written a lot of missions for Bolt Action Vietnam, uh, basically along, along the lines of what you were saying about recreating a particular battle and trying to capture what that battle was about. And usually when it comes to the actual objectives, most of the time I've kind of defaulted to the same ones. It'll be sort of a derivative. If you're doing sort of a cache, uh, weapon cache destruction, it'll work the same way as like top secret or something like this. And that's worked well. But one of the things that I absolutely can't help myself with is I will try to add three to four scenario special rules. So I try to have one or two that are kind of neutral will affect both sides. And then I'll have one that affects one side more than the other. Uh, one of the ones that, that I did recently, I think it was the Battle of Hut Ditch. But one of the things that was really um, key to that was that there was a lot of explosives targeted at buildings and fortifications. And also a lot of them had weapon cations and ammo storages inside. So I basically made everything that was a shape charge or a one inch HE template basically cause a act as a two inch template if it hits a building. So suddenly all of these man portable RPGs, uh, M79 underslung Very grenade launchers. Deadly. Yeah. And, but it also meant that it, it was, it kind of, that's what it was like. So it was deadly for both sides because obviously laws and RPGs were pretty ubiquitous and, and that sort of thing. Another, and then of course I put the objectives as ammo caches inside the buildings. And if they got hit, they had a chance of detonating. So it was kind of compounding that effect. And those are those can be fun, but when you're doing something narrative like this, you're trying to capture what the battle was. And and I will happily admit, on the face it should be mostly balanced, but if it's leaning like 60-40 or something, I'll wear it because those battles weren't historically accurate. But you can't you can't really get away with that in a competitive setting, can you? No, not really. And and I suppose that's uh, a great tie-in to, for example, you know, how do you set your train up for your missions um, is when you're coming to either a more competitive standpoint uh, or wanting to ensure that both sides of the field are approximately balanced, you wouldn't normally automatically define certain terrain features to sit in your missions. So yeah. um, then again, sometimes it is appropriate. You just got to know how to make that work so kitty hawk down is a fantastic example you have a plane that crashes in the middle of the field right it adds a terrain piece yeah and suddenly that becomes the primary objective and, and a corridor of death let's not forget the corridor of death <laughs> <laughs> it's much better gorging when people play it and find out what it does um <laughs> and that that's a, that's a word to you as a player read your players pack before you get to the event <laughs> please please read players packs um yeah, I think the, um, you know, sometimes you can. You know, a King of the Hill scenario is another classic as well. Yeah. We did one for Attack on Cameron Ridge, and it was you, you had the hill there because you wanted to fight up it. But if it wasn't necessarily, um, if you weren't able to balance it out, um, there's also the cross between, okay, so a more competitive mission keeps the balance, whether it's a narrative-driven scenario game that you might just be playing as a pickup in the garage. Having dedicated terrain 
for a mission to support that. So um, assaulting, uh, me and my dad have run them before where you're assaulting onto an island assault. Um, so think US Marines versus Japanese, and they're sitting on their mountain islands and their bunkers and everything that are set up. And it's, you're like, the Japanese have a very significant advantage in the game. Well, yeah. yes, they, they, they did. Yeah. That's what happened. They did. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so you, you can actually play it through. But if you put that into any sort of a uh, competitive setting, it would just, it would be bad. Like, you, yeah. you, if you were the defender on that, you'd feel fantastic. And if you were the attacker, you'd be gutted. Um, and there wouldn't be anything you could do about it because this, this hill that we're talking about was this dirty, great big thing cast out of foam. <laughs> um, it would, it's um, you know, it's it's challenging to play against. It's very challenging to play against, um, simply because of the line of sight and the cover that you just models just disappear into the mountain. You're like, what do I do? And it's like, charge them. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, terrain uh, or mission stipulated terrain can be a bit challenging. I see what you mean. I think the only uh, there's been a few times in uh, in the VC on the trail missions where where I've done that, but again, it's it's had a historical bias. So securing securing a couple of LZs where the orient the angle of attack was a big part of the the historical battle or, or the strategy that the one commander was was basically forced to to overcome or one obstacle they were forced to overcome with strategy. That's those things make sense. I think the only other time I've done it ostensibly in a uh, fair environment was was with some of the firefight missions where there was an objective that you had to destroy and it when you know i think I, I i wrote a list of like it could be a bridge in the center of your table or something like this but again i would i would probably caution against stipulating terrain um in in great detail unless there was some unless you've basically got a really good reason yeah, and, and but specifically group. on uh, in competitive sense, I mean, yeah, when you have stipulated terrain in a narrative, that that's just going to be so memorable. Yeah, yeah. Why you're fighting? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really it's are you are you primarily a narrative or a competitive player, and and what is your player base like? And um, can, yeah, who are you writing the mission for? Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um. And then that moves us in into so you know so terrain largely we're expecting in most balance cases and that um, will be set up equally between the players and you know it may not be a hundred percent symmetrical but you will have um, you know an equal amount of opportunity on both sides of the table in most cases. Um, but what about deployment? Now you guys know I love messing with deployment. I, I like that's one of the things that I find. Um, when it comes to either deployment zones or how your forces arrive on the field or where they can arrive on the field, um, that that's always a curveball that I sort of throw at you guys. Yeah, what, what what's that? What's that mission where you deploy in triangles? Is it crossfire or something? Where, yeah, I think I think the first time I played that mission, it took me it took me and my opponent like a good fifteen minutes to just map out the board about where we were allowed to be and where we weren't allowed to be and and which percentage was allowed to be in which quadrant. And I remember as you, as you walked past, you were just like, what do you think about this mission? I was like, you need to fix deployment, man. This thing is cooked. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly certain that we did not play the deployment correctly in that mission. 
Um, I do have something really memorable that Dan made. I can't remember the mission, so that part's not memorable, the name. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, the one where, like, it was basically people could deploy kind of right up to this no man's land gap and that there was going to be a bombardment and you had to get away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that one was uh, the full mission, I think, is called panic yeah and the um it came out of a firefight mission that i designed around as a test bed um called turkey shoot and that was almost like the the inspiration for that was like a wild west um uh, a wild west standoff like (laughs) everyone at the 12 inch line ready to go and then someone fires off and everyone scatters um and but that that was a yeah that was definitely different and Um, that actually reminds me of something um I've I've been playing Necromunda a fair bit on the side outside of Bolt Action. Uh, sue me. Um, one of the things I find that, that Necromunda does, uh, I'm not going to say well, but it, it does iconically, is that in a lot of missions, it kind of reduces your agency in the sense that, like, rather than doing the normal things you can do in any game, until a certain condition is met, you can't do a, a whole bunch of your normal actions. And so there, there is a standoff, there is a Mexican standoff mission where all you can do is, is basically um, pass a bravery track. And if you, if you succeed, you walk towards your opponent up to half of your maximum movement. Um, and that, that's all you can do until you collect a certain number of failed bravery and then you reach for your gun and then everybody rolls initiative and then you play like a normal game of Necromunda. But something like like that works in 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 that thing. But I'm going to tell you that that gets super boring really quickly. It's fun for like the first five or six like dice rolling, and then it just becomes roll the dice, tick a box, move a guy. Roll a dice, tick a box, move a guy until like a random event happens. And I think that's I don't necessarily think that's good mission design. Because it's exciting for the first couple of seconds, but the novelty wears off super fast. And I think that's one of the the things that um, Bolt Action does really well. It's just that when you play a game, when you play a mission of Bolt Action, you know you're going to play Bolt Action. And you know you're going to get to your full agency. You're going to have full control over your units. And if you don't, it's going to be a very short-term thing. Like No Man's Land about limited line of sight or or night fighting rules and, and things like that. And I think they that's something that it gets right is that the novelty is just on long enough for you to go, I'm kind of over this now. Then the turn takes over and you're like, okay, cool. All guns out. Let's go. Speaking of novelty and everything that you were talking about, that <laughs> really filled my mind with something that we don't see all that often, but we did in our last tournament. And that was uh, order dice uh, manipulation. Oh yes. Yeah. With, with this Enigma mission, if you did well on the previous mission, and you collected all these secret codes, you could potentially, you could then draw the first order dice. And, and that really completely changed our game for the whole thing. Yeah. I'd actually yeah. like to play around with things similar to that. That doesn't seem as extreme, but it completely changed the game in a way. But maybe even, um, and, and you're saying novelty, but but what about, you know, you're given 80% of your order dice for the first turn or something. Yeah, like that, yeah, and you yeah. don't get to move everything. Yeah. So one of, one of the other deployment uh, options that's available, and, and you can actually extend it into the game completely, is, is that idea of where you 
okay, you've, let's say you've got 12 units as part of your 1,000 points, as an example, but you're only allowed to deploy 10 of them. Simply, yeah. like, you're just only allowed to yeah. deploy 10. Um, there is a an alternate play style where on any given turn, you can also in, in have that deficit where you might have 12 units, you can only use 10. Or you might yeah. have you know, 15 units, you can only use 12. Um, that forces a whole bunch of different choices uh, and that you are then so rarely what happens in bolt action um, normally because it's one dice per unit you will always get to do something with that unit unless it's gone down uh, yeah. or it's been obliterated um, yeah change that of course but you don't know until <laughs> until you roll the order check if it comes down to it right there's still right. there's a there's a hope right up until that moment and then and then there's a very clear yes no you get to do what you wanted to do i think the reason people have stayed away from any kind of order dice shenanigans in general because i think it's a little bit of a sacred cow in bolt action and i do get it because it's it's a very weird thing in terms of balance right because there is a lot of like random chance that goes into it and the only thing you can really do is kind of manipulate uh, how many dice are in the bag. That's the only real mechanic you have as a player to affect it. And so the, the, the general advice for tournaments is get as close to the dice cap as you possibly can. And if you're not there, have a very good reason why. And it's okay not to be, but as long as but you're accepting that, that you're going to be down one or two or three dice out of you know the 12 to 15 or whatever the dice cap is and i think that that is a conscious decision that players have a lot of agency over and i think that's why that that's this is one of my criticisms of something like chain of command where i don't know how many units i'm going to activate i don't know which units i can activate and i also don't know when the turn's going to end so i don't like you just have and i get that it's a fog of war it's a simulation thing but that doesn't mean it's it's fun game design or it doesn't mean that it's engaging game design from a from a technical tactical strategic level and so i think that's why people have shied away from uh from any kind of order dice shenanigans in general because i think i haven't I haven't checked the rules but i think the enigma special rule that you got if you did it well yeah. was basically an intelligence unit or an intelligence squad i think the mechanic that's is correct. the same yeah yeah correct. And intelligence squads are usually excluded from tournaments for that exact reason, because you can, at a critical moment in time, just go, this is my dice now, which I, I think it's kind of one of those things where if you have the option to take it, it's really difficult to justify not taking it. So if it's open and they're a hundred points, I have no idea what they are, rather than making it 12 dice at 1k points, you should just make it. 13 dice at 1100 points because everyone's just going to take one. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that's right. And so, you know, and that's just deployment um, and, and, and sort of things relating to deployment or order dice drops um, in a, in a, what would we say as a regular game. So, um, but we've done doubles events and firefight and all sorts of things where I have, where we've, we've altered and done things different with deployment and the, the purpose that generally when I'm building what would make a, a good custom mission is that deployment phase is the initial move of the game, right? So yeah. it's, it's the initial phase. It's part of the game, yeah. 
is part of the game. It's not just simply putting units down. Like, I, I would like that they don't have to, but I would like players to think about how you're actually going to deploy in those missions to achieve your objectives with the resources that you've got. Yeah. And it's not always going to be as straightforward as um, No Man's Land. Now, for example, as Jake said, um, you know, I really actually enjoy pickup games being No Man's Land because it is that simplicity drop. Um, mm. But I don't necessarily want to play the super simple stuff all the time at an event. I, I want to engage and, you know, um, yeah. have, have interesting, challenging battle. Yep. I wonder if, so I guess some, some deployments that, that we have done um, and that we've seen, so, you know, the core, the, basically the two that you get in the mission, sorry, that's not fair. The, the, the different deployments you get in, in the core rulebook, I was going to say there's two, but you actually get quite a few more, is that some on, some off is, is kind of the, the main one. So there's a first wave or a reserve component or something like this. Uh, and then how soon you get access to those units is, is a very common thing to do with deployment in terms of mission design what percentage of your force you get when and that could be as i said all of it up to all of it on the board at the start um all of it or up to some or all of it in first wave like i think top secret or key positions or something like this and then um you know a, a certain amount has to be in reserve so they have to come on turn two or later those are some pretty common ones some other ones that that you've done uh uh that you've done particularly, Dan, is you've done some L deployments or like L in one corner, L in the opposite corner. And then sectors, sectors basically does the same thing as all on and some off, but it's, it just does opposite corners instead. I think the, um, uh, I'm trying to think in terms of a single player scenario or sorry, um, one person aside scenario, what other deployment levers can you pull? Well, there's another mission in the main rule book. I can't remember the name of it, but it's the one where you're completely surrounded. Manhunt. Yeah. 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 And what I really, what I I really like about it is yeah. I, I find sectors really complicated to deploy because it's not only that you have your grid, but you can go all the way up to the line. Uh, you've got a semicircle in sectors, right? 12 inches away from the center? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but being able to deploy more than 12 inches, which seems to be the typical yeah, wall yeah. coming on the yeah. edge, you know, it can it, that, that just opens up so much possibility of, of where things can go because it's all of a sudden it's kind of like I have forward deployers for my whole army. Yeah, one of the and things... <laughs> yeah, good, sorry, go ahead. Where do I put them? <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, I, I feel a bit more comfortable counter deploying on a no man's land because right, I've done yeah. it so many times. Yeah. And, and then, and I might come up with the mindset that maybe I'm going to push this flank hard and, and give up that side and whatever yeah. else. But I, I, I find things where you can deploy very close to the enemy, that's just a completely other game. It, it's actually interesting because in Sectus, you're still typically about 24 inches away from your enemy. Right, because yeah, you go's going to be twelve yours. inches away from the middle. But one of the things that always catches me out in sectors is I think I suddenly like think very quadrant. I forget yeah. halves, and and one of the things that always catches me out on sectors is that if I'm against an opponent that has a mobile army or mobile components to their army, they put them in reserve, and then they just come on like 
the board edge that's like close to my front line. And I'm like, no, of course you can do this because it's still your board edge. And that always I, gets me. I make that mistake way too often for all of my like, you know, be aware of what deployment can do. Here are all the custom deployment missions I've done. <laughs> and I'll get to a mission like that and I'll be like, I totally left that fixed weapon team exposed. Yeah. That, <laughs> there was one time I thought I did, I actually did that quite okay. It's when I was playing my Australians. Uh, against Nat Cole, it's not last tournament, tournament before. And I was kind of just mucking about with forward deployment because that's what you do with, with like Pacific Australians. That's that's one of the national characteristics that you get. And so I put a I put a squad of platoon scouts on my board edge, like right up against his, his line as close as I could get. And of course, because he had to be, um, I had to be 12 inches away from him, which is no problem because I just had SMGs. Had three veterans with SMGs. And I just walked forward and just like popped the transport with my first dice. And I'm like, oh, wow. That felt really <laughs> dirty, but also really good. Really, really good. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm really actually horrified to play sectors against either a mobile army um, that has a lot of yeah. like... Maybe not necessarily like half tracks, but like light armored cars and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. And also yeah. just f- armies capable of forward deploying en masse. So particularly I- sectors with a theater selector is like, oh God. <laughs> the last few events I've been consistently eyeballing. Um, there's an SS platoon that can um, deploy. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's two of them. Yeah. Yeah, you can you pay three points a model and it can deploy in a hedgerow. It doesn't need to be a hedgerow, but it's yeah. like forward deploying. You just have to deploy in cover. That's, and, that's the condition. And you can start an ambush. Yes. Yeah. And I I just really want to like it. Just looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw that platoon, and I think that platoon can also take two Panzer Shreks, if I remember correctly. Yep. Uh, yep. So you just you just like that is one of those times when you don't even need LMGs, man. You just start like point blank with SMGs and just live the absolute dream because you're. You're going to be 12 inches away from your opponent and on ambush. So if they come closer, you just hose them. And if they don't, you just walk forward and hose them. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a miracle. It works so well. The, uh, I did spot that a few of those, um, one of those platoons, the, the SS one, there's a Panzer Grenadier one and there's an SS one. Um, the SS officer doesn't get Blitzkrieg. Yeah, but he's a bit cheaper. Yeah, yeah, five points cheaper. Yeah. So that tells you how much a snap two is worth. <laughs> <laughs> a snap two dice is worth five points. <laughs> Jacob straight away like, yeah, but he's cheaper, so I'm still doing that. <laughs> yeah, that that's five I, points. I don't you use can... my office as well. <laughs> it's five points you can spend on ambushes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I did. I did actually like that the um, that the team weapons in those platoons are only ten points. To upgrade yeah, to ambush. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really good. But yeah, um, speaking of events in my Australian, just a, a quick shout out to Lead Bear Tufts. So I want to voucher for these um, at the last tournament, and uh, I, I had a chat to him to, to base my Australians, and it's it's not sponsored. Um, but he did actually send me. I couldn't decide between two two colors, so he actually sent me both of them. So shout out to Barry at Lead Bear Tufts. And I just got these the other day. They're really well packaged. And uh, I know that's a really weird thing to care about, but like, I love me some good packaging. And also because they're tough, so you don't want them to be damaged or anything. But like, mm. super well packaged. And these are like incredible quality tough. So 
Reach yeah. out to, to Leadbearer or Barry if you need some toughs. I've I've tried some Vallejo stuff. I've tried some Army Painter and a few other ones. And and I think, uh, yeah, th there's a few. There's like three or four that I tried. And I'm always like, yeah, these are okay. And I got these ones and I'm like, no, nah, this is this is the bee's knees of toughs. And, and he's local Very as well. Cool. So definitely get your hands on some of these if you're after some toughs. Don't, don't bother with the other stuff. Um, speaking of, I, I've only used the Game of Grass stuff, but they actually paint well. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I, okay. bought, I bought a I bought a couple packs of flowers, yeah. and then I just cut, painted each row of flowers a different color, and I could just put yeah, it nice. on like a display board, and it made yeah. it look quite different. So, like, because I've seen stuff where people have flowers in their armies, and it's like, oh, you have red ones and yellow ones, and like, you just bought like thirty bucks of flowers. You? <laughs> <laughs> so you can paint them. <laughs> I've seen. Well, what I've done before is I've gotten the foam that you get in the blister packs and I've yep. grated it. And then I painted like the little grated tufts that you get out the other side. It was more so I just put them in a cup and I put a bit of paint in there and I mixed them around. And then that'll actually stick to tufts. So I've usually just like, if I've got some long grass ones, I'll I'll just paint foam and stick them on, which is, uh, it's a, it's a, it's always a cost to labor ratio that one, right? It's like, do you want to spend forty or fifty dollars on flowers, or do you want to spend like an hour or two making your own? Yeah, and and on on that point in particular, the effort ratio versus cost um, is significantly different. If you're just wanting to do it for a squad of yeah. can do, yeah, compared to I have an entire board's worth of stuff that I want to put all the toughs yeah. on, then you go okay, making it bold yeah. for myself maybe better but um, and, and that's why i recommend like lead bears they're extremely yeah. affordable and their quality is fantastic so get out there support local um get get some good quality stuff in you so other things that uh that make a good custom mission um now one of the other things that i've pained you guys through <laughs> is limiting your force choices on certain types of battles. So typically in a doubles environment where I put limitations on what your players can or cannot do on a team. Um, now, there's an argument that this isn't a good thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but certainly as a way to, if you want your mission to play a certain way and you know that a particular type of unit, like if you're trying to play an early war scenario, Trying to theme it towards that. Um, obviously, having late war armor running through it is probably going to mess that up and cause it to be a problem. Yeah. So you could just say you can't bring it um, as 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 an option in the simplest form. Um, in the doubles events that I did, I went a few steps further than that. <laughs> yeah, real custom selectors, hey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th that's a. Uh, I think. I don't have I don't have too much to say in this one except that like I, I would f I find it really difficult to limit force selection at a mission level in terms of like selectors and, and points and that sort of thing. I don't I haven't seen a mission that's made me go oh this is not going to scale super well. Uh, you know if if you're talking maybe something like key positions if you're playing at five hundred points don't don't take five objectives <laughs> take you know two or three um, but. That that all being said, I think both things are very malleable in that sense, and that the only time I could, I could at least for myself, and then uh, I guess by extension that the players that that would be attending my events is that I I can't really justify saying you can take this units or these units 
from a competitive perspective. I can justify it from from a narrative perspective or don't take the M12 um, HMG motor carriage that doesn't have a howitzer <laughs> on it because it's stupid. It's 110 <laughs> points and it's an Arma 9 open top vehicle with only a HMG. Just don't do it. Uh, that's that's the only caveat to, to what I just said. And for everyone that's wondering at home, he did put that in his players pack. It's in there. <laughs> I will. I'm going to screen screen cap it and put it right here. It's in my players pack. That vehicle is not legal. <laughs> Everything else is fine. Bring whatever the hell you want. I don't care. But that you can bring bamboo spearmen for all I care. Two hundred of them. But no, you're not bringing that goddamn HMG out of carriage. Um. The only thing I find quite frustrating when it comes to a limitation, maybe it's a, a, a selector based on a time period. It's yeah. just yeah. what models does that player have. Yeah. That, that, that's the hard thing. Yeah. And, and it's they've seen it in the reverse. John Beeson running these Vietnam events, he supplies the armies and the lists and everything else. So you do. he gives yeah. you a selector. Yeah. Uh, he, he gives you a framework to work with, and here's the model so you can kind of pick and choose. But this is what was there at that point in time. And, yeah else. and it's kind of that's um, that's the two extremes right yeah yeah um yeah. but i like the other method that you kind of do this and that's just manipulating what the points level is i'm finding that this 820 points level that you're now choosing which is completely different than everything else there's it's just so interesting to try and see what can i squeeze in what's worth it and not and trying to figure out what's right yeah i i pulled that number Basically, by going 82nd airborne, 82 points is not enough. 101st airborne is 110 points, which is a bit weird. I was like, I'll just put a zero on 820 and roll with it. But uh, there's been a few people who have like, sh- uh, like teed me up for practice games, or they've asked me sp- some advice for building a list at 820. And I've gone, yeah, man, easy. I'll just, bu- I'll just like, here's something that you could take. And I went to build the list, and I'm like. What do I do at eight twenty? This is so disgusting. <laughs> I can't. I've, I can't do it. <laughs> I've tried to build several. You haven't made it easy. No. Yeah, <laughs> and and that was a uh, the other reason why I didn't want just a thousand points is after listening to uh, Cast Dice and, and Harry Turner on theirs, and when they run their events, they just use choose random points limits just to get people to build something different. I was like, yeah, why not? Like why not? If you're going to talk about good custom missions, now obviously we're starting to scope a little bit into uh, events or, or yeah. competitive play as well there, um, which is not specifically intentional, but is okay. It's also kind um, of hard to talk about missions and not talk about the context that they'd be played in. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, limiting the force choices by going, yeah, we're just going to play 820 points because uh, 82nd airborne. Um, <laughs> it's like, if, if people don't like it, that's okay. They'll let you know. Don't worry. They'll tell you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> leave the space for someone that does want to come and play, and it's fine. Um, but yeah, it it does mean that I'm like, oh, I'm going to take this because this do- doesn't fit. Yeah, <laughs> um, what am I going to do? Um, which is good, you know that that does create the variety in the in, um, in our local scene and what we want to you know help people develop and play differently and play better. I think one of the things that's also absolutely bears mentioning is uh, the event out in Albany, Southern Thrust. And John Gill, what he's putting together there. And again, I appreciate we're kind of leaning into events here. Um, he's taken us the Bolt Action Alliance missions, which are, they, they are super solid. And I think people at face value kind of read them and go, oh, they're not super balanced. You know, like Kitty Hawk down, you can get splattered by the, the airplane and stuff like that. But 
I think if you actually play them, you'll find that they're really fun and they're very tight. But the, the point that I was trying to make is that I, I can't remember all of the stipulations because I was like, oh, they don't apply to me. But he um he rewards players for taking first lieutenants was one of them. And the other one was that um all of your army, uh, if it's the same veterancy, you get another victory point. And I think that's something else you can. I mean, we're doing this at I'm doing it with mine at an event level as, as inspired by him. He's doing it at the event level as well. But I actually think that's something you could probably do at the mission level as well is, mm-hmm. you know, and that's actually something that only clicks for me right now is that you could actually give victory points to your opponents or to the you players can. based on their force selection rather than penalizing them and say, no, you can't play with your toys because this mission is designed for 1942, whatever. Uh, and I think that's... Again, it's kind of like if you make the incentive too strong, it's just going to happen anyway. So you might as well have written it as a force limitation. So it's yeah. a, I don't really know where to where I sit on that completely, but it is it's an idea. Maybe somebody listening to this will go, ah, I've got it. I will give one point five victory points for every three riflemen or something like this, right? That, but these are these are just some things that you can some levers you can pull and hopefully get those creative juices flowing. Yeah, and I think. The, the biggest thing when creating so so i would also say a lot of my missions that i started with for example they were not good when they started yeah like the first time that we played find the informant as a mission <laughs> in the event scene and i had virtually every table go um dan i don't understand how does this actually work and i had to rewrite that mission five times <laughs> put you all through painfully five times um, until we got a mission that is nice and solid. And now it's one that can comfortably sit in rotation. It doesn't have to be played all the time. But I know that when we bring it out to play it, it is a good custom mission that's going to work. So um, what is Find the Informant? So Find the Informant is, it's actually an adaption from Top Secret. Yeah. So in Top Secret, you go in, you grab your documents or your personal or whatever, uh, and you're attempting to run off the board. With find the informant, uh, replace documents with a man is the first thing, and this person is essentially a double agent. There are three objective points that are spread midway through the center line of the table. So you're at the 24-inch mark uh, from long edge to long edge. You're essentially halfway up, and then you've got three equidistant points. Those points are the only places that he can possibly appear from right. or be found or looked for. So there's automat- there's a random chance of actually finding him on any of those points okay. if he has not been found. Uh, and so already that's like, wait, 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 what? Um, <laughs> it's not just, it's reason- not just seize ground. There's no, there's just- no guarantee. Yeah. And, and so it's, you have to be able to seize the ground where an objective is. And then there is that activation element to find him hmm. or her. Once you've found the informant, they become the sole objective of the game. Right. That, yeah. That, okay. Like, it's, it's now just about them. So all the other markers stay in place. They are now secondary. Um, but now it's about that informant. But then what I did is like, I want that informant to behave in a particular way. Uh, and so you can't run when you have the informant because you can't keep up. You can't jump. Or they have to be dragged or whatever. Yeah. They yeah. have to be dragged or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're not willing. Um, <laughs> we coming with you. Um, but you can't leave the table either. So the whole purpose is I've now got the informant. I now need to protect the informant until right. I can extract him. And I'm not allowed to extract him until the end of the game. So you end up with this cat and mouse game of the informant will pop up. He'll be captured by somebody. 
the other player will chase that person around trying to get rid of the informant by obliterating the unit that they're with. Yeah. If, it, if they're obliterated through shooting, then the informant bugs out and you have to go find them again. <laughs> if they obliterate them in combat, then they take possession of the informant. So there's right. a couple of different ways to do it. If the informant is missing at the end of the game, then your secondary objectives become your primary objectives again as a way to just resolve the mission outside of a draw. But whether or not outflank was in play, whether or not forward deployment was in play, whether or not a first wave worked in that scenario, they were all things that I had to work through in those different iterations before we got to the final version. Um, now, as I said, once we got there, everyone knows roughly how it's going to play now, and it's quite straightforward because um, we understand. Um, and it is a fun mission because it's all held in the balance of a um, largely a five-plus role on who finds the informant first these objectives and so it's like 33 percent chance of you being happy this turn or having to play catch up but catch up isn't that bad because you for example nail the unit with a mortar now you could just if you're the one on the objectives you get three chances to find him and as long as you roll a five plus on one of those three you're okay um but it does swing back and forth quite a lot um so i don't it's it's one that's good to have in rotation but you don't want to necessarily play it every single event um so that's an interesting. Meanwhile, Dan, <laughs> time to bring it back. Find the informant. It's a it's an interesting question about how you score points there. Actually, I know. Um, yes. As as far as I recall, in the rule book, it's basically always end of game, right? There's no there's no kind of like uh, cumulative or accumulating points in any of the bolt action missions. Yeah, typically bolt action does all their scoring at the end. Um, you may have the, the only, I guess, incremental form of scoring would be missions that use kill points yeah, or yeah. three points destroyed. Um, but technically you don't actually tally it up until the end. Yeah. Um, there are conditions certain... to finish early though. Yeah. Wood demolition is yeah. a, is oh, a yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and that, that one can actually be quite, um, in certain circumstances, it has the potential to be quite toxic because you can just. That was my last unit. You can't get to my objective, but I can just land on yours. Cool. That was a fun game. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> I think, I think one of my first works. events, Rust like did me in like twenty minutes in like turn two. Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you? Did you not have a unit on the objective, and he just uh, like ran a uh, truck on it? I, I, I was green, and yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. Okay, had some shenanigans going on, and and he said it very like in turn one. He's like, "This is gone here. Nothing you can do about it." Turn two, it's gonna be on it, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and one of the and one of the reasons that that was able to happen was uh, on that. If I remember the game correctly, because um, that one stuck out to me, uh, there was a road for the vehicle which yeah. didn't have a roadblock on it. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. David just to shoot straight through, and and Russ pulled me aside and was like, "I know that we're only just getting back into the events and stuff, but uh, you got to fix that on terrain tables because <laughs> that's going to be a problem." Yeah. Um. So it was like, block it with you know a wreck, block it with something. Yeah. yeah. Or don't use them. There seems to be an un uh, an unspoken rule that is only spoken when it's when it's been violated is that there is no straight road between board edges and there's no straight road that's longer than 24 inches that seems to be the two golden rules is that for some reason in the fields of world war ii nobody in the appropriate converted ground scale nobody had a straight road that went longer than 24 inches there was always there was always a bend 
uh, or a T intersection or like a staggered cross intersection. So you couldn't just go straight through it. It was, that seems even, to be the golden if, rule. Even if it didn't go anywhere. And I think it's just to stop stuff like that. Cause yeah. Uh, and I even remember it was like one of the games that I played. Um, oh, I can't remember who I played it against now. I think it might've been against, against BJ. who was also pretty new. There was, there was like, a, a road that stretched like from one end from short edge to uh, sorry, yeah from long edge to long edge it was 48 inches long and like without even saying anything to to bj i just like i just moved a piece of train into the middle of the road <laughs> and then he was just like he's like why'd you do that and i was like ah oh, so you just can't cross cross the thing in, in one go with a vehicle and he's like why is that a bad idea and i was like all right let's sit down we're gonna go through why that's a terrible idea <laughs> Let's start the education, um, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's, and so there are things to be aware of, um, but also, you know, we, and we mentioned it earlier with other ways to score points or yeah. to do points within missions. Like we talked about side objectives and now, you know, and, and some of these things have come across from other game systems that we've played before, um, you know, in, in primaries or secondaries or things like that. Um, the side objectives were extremely popular when we um, introduced yeah. them the first time around because they were so different. Um, and if you want to check those out, go look at our Partisan Pete episode. Um, yeah. I think, yeah. Was that the first one, Partisan Pete? Yeah. Uh, yeah. On the side? On the side? On the side was the first one. Yeah. 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 But yeah. we've got a great video about Partisan Pete. Yeah, we do. Yes. And it it was a, yeah. Yeah. a good <laughs> recommendation. Right yeah. Um, but I think the, you know, there, there are several different ways to, I guess, look at your points um, within a game and how you score them. And, I think the biggest thing, what makes a, a custom mission, or in fact any um, mission, what makes it good is when those points are achievable or a little bit of a stretch, but they're not so unachievable that if one player um, does get slightly ahead, that it's a snowball and you can't and you can't yeah. catch up. So I know some of the campaign book missions, uh, especially for ones that you might start on a short table edge, and the idea is to like push as far down. Onto, towards the opposite short table edge as you can. The the big rewards for the points on the back end are like, you know, sort of three to five points per unit that yeah. gets back there. And you're like, wow, that's incredible. It's like, I'll oh, just outflank stuff. No, it doesn't include outflank. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, it's like, but why, why is it so so beneficial for those units to get up there? It's like, I'll just put 15 dudes in a truck um, that are all like three different teams or whatever, and I'll just zip it down there at the end. I'm like, I'm going to get like 20-something points. And it's like, Apart from the fact that you sent them in a paper bag on wheels, um, <laughs> That's what, this is what the buffalo is good for. Buffalo yeah. with a captain in it. <laughs> the one time. <laughs> um, but but essentially, it's it's like even if you did have, even if you did have that space where you're going to get potentially think you're going to get all those points at the end of the game. Um, they reward you so much because your units have to survive. Yeah. And because yeah. as soon as they die, they're going to give points back to your opponent yeah. in most of those cases. So it's like you, you almost want the missions actually encouraging you not necessarily to push for the very end zone unless you have to or could. Um, the game actually, always um, hangs in the balance. Halfway, yeah. Yeah. Always it, hangs in the balance. Aim for the halfway point And then, yeah, it's, it's, you'll end up with it fairly close. Do, do you think that's why they. So my impression was that the reason they only scored at the end was basically a speed of play thing. Because I've, I've listened to Monday Musings with Alessio and his main thing, there's even some mechanics where he's like, 
Yeah, that's a that's a perfectly good mechanic. The one that really springs to mind was like, why don't um, templates when they miss? Why don't they scatter? And he's like, yeah. yeah, it's a really fun mechanic, but it also takes forever per template, and it really slows the game down. And also, it's just a good way to have something to argue about. Um, but yeah. and then also when he talked about, um, you know, everybody always complains about LMGs and MMGs and stuff. And and the one thing that always comes up is why don't they do D3 pins? And when he was talking about that one, he was like, D3 pins is way too powerful. We haven't. And then he said, he says, we never tried D2 pins. But then he's like, you know, D2 pins are the same as on a four plus. It, it creates two pins. And that's also the same as uh, every second time you roll that dice, you've wasted your time or you've wasted the player's time. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. I think. Again, I could be misattributing it, but one of the big things that I took away from that philosophy is speed of play is very important to the design of bolt action. And I, it actually really comes through in the core of the game, at least for me, especially now playing uh, Necromunda and, and Malifaux as well, particularly. Uh, yeah. and, and and that's a, that's a, you know, for a newbie like me, it's a four hour game, right? And we're talking like 10, 12 models aside. And and I talked to some of the more experienced guys. They're like, "Yeah, man, the fastest I've ever played game was two hours." And I was just like, you know, and play something like Bolt Action where you can play a thousand points in in an hour if you're if you and your opponent are super switched yeah. on ninety it's minutes ninety minutes reliably for for an average competency player. So I always understood that the objectives being scored at the end was basically to avoid the bookkeeping administrative stuff that you see between rounds like the command phase in 40k, which is basically just 30 to 60 seconds of you and your opponent literally bookkeeping stuff, um, which I, I don't particularly enjoy the command phase in 40k. I don't think it, it it's a very good, um, like in, interesting, exciting phase. But at the same time, there's a part of me that goes, you know, why don't I just score objectives as I go? Because it's kind of, you know... In my head, it's it's a little bit faster than scoring it at the end. And one of the things I completely did not appreciate was the fact that the game hangs in the balance until the last turn. And I and while the speed of play stuff might be true, thinking back on it now, I actually think that that's the main reason why they're scored at the end is that the game is always in contention. Yeah, and, and I would definitely say that in comparison, I only played 40K for only a little bit, particularly with you and Nick and all those, and that's where I'd lose interest. I'm at the point now that I can't win, no yeah. matter what I do. Yeah. And I feel like I've got a good chance, even if I'm down a little bit in bolt, right at the end I've still got an opportunity to, to, to swing it around. And I think that also plays into the order, the activations. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's intentional. I don't think yeah. it's not Sorry, there for... Like, that. they would have made it... They, obviously, they're 40K writers and everything else, and they would have yeah, been yeah. counting objectives and everything from beforehand. There, there would have been an active reason why they chose not to. And, and, and that was my point, is, like... I, yeah. I always assumed it was a speed of play thing, but but now to Dan and your points, I, I'm actually convinced to the church of game hangs in the balance. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think the the reality is it's probably a little bit of both, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because speed of play and efficiency of, of just being able to get through a game has for, for a lot of those systems, for bolt action, for black powder, for any of those bits and pieces, yeah. 
um, it is about the speed of play. Um, black powder and stuff probably more so because you're talking significant number of 28 millimeter figures in some of those games. But yeah. um, but but certainly for bolt action, I've tossed up the idea of doing cumulative scoring for, yeah. for different scenarios or different setups. The closest we've got to is those side objectives where as you're yeah. nailing them that you're able to record them down. But we generally use them as like a bonus point for yeah. tie breaks and victory points as opposed to the actual winner of a game. Um, not opposed to trying it out if that's what people want to give a go. So let us know if that's the case and we'll, we'll put something together. Um, probably quite good for narrative play, if I'm, if I'm honest, because narrative yeah. play, if, you, if you're only playing one scenario over the course of a day, doing those incremental scorings helps actually give you that progression to your yeah. end goal. Um, Especially so if you're doing multiplayer. Sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, but yeah, it, yeah, we'll see. I, I typically, I lose count of the number of games that I have fought to the bitter end because I thought I could still just contest that objective yeah. and therefore deny it. Yeah. Um, you know, but I found that I might have still lost, but I fought very hard um, to lose and lose hard. <laughs> and and that's that's something that that I didn't actually appreciate until this conversation is that is that the only time I've gone, oh, I can't do anything to win this game has been bottom of turn five or you know bottom of turn six. I've only got maybe four or five dice left in the bag to start the turn. I've only got a couple of activations left, or even at the start of turn five or turn six. Many times I've gone. It's this activation or the game's over. And it's been like that for yeah. me and my opponent. And I'm trying to think of any other war game where I've had so much engagement from myself to still think that the game's in contention. Now, that's not to say that I tilt or I give up easily or anything like that. But there's there's plenty of other game systems um, where you can go, you're just like, yeah, particularly with cumulative scoring, you just kind of get to turn three and you're just like, you know, turn three out of six, you're just like, yeah, that this pony's already like run, you know. The 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 snowball's already got too much momentum and it's too big and it's and, and the ship sailed. Uh it's and it's actually kind of interesting because I'm like I'm thinking about how you do activations in bolt action. Um or rather you you don't do activations, the dice bag does it for you. Uh is that is that, that almost actually is better for cumulative scoring because you have much more chances to interact with your opponent, get them onto and off objectives. Uh, do, do, do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah. Yeah, because that, that push and shove across a battle line or an objective, yeah. um, you potentially have more than one crack at that per turn. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I'm, I, I don't know, I'm seesaw. I don't know. <laughs> I, can't, I don't know if I've gone for, for end again because it's always in contention or if I go at the end of every turn um, just because you've got more opportunities to interact. I got a wild right. card for you guys. Though, Here we go. Because uh, Dan said progression, and then oh, yeah. we're talking about uh, something that you could achieve each turn. Why don't we have a veterancy level up as an objective on the board? Ooh, as in to get like a green unit to level up? Yes, yes, like a power green roll. Like, like just, just, just an objective piece, and it's a green roll, and you just see what happens. <laughs> You've been playing too much Unreal Two Thousand. <laughs> Gotta get those power ups. <laughs> Actually, okay. So, so when I was designing the Tank War event for, um, I think it was two thousand nineteen show. Um, 
I tossed up a few different ideas of how we could do that. One of them was we don't do a tank war event as tank platoons. We do a tank war event as a tank race. <laughs> think Mario Kart, think World War II tanks. <laughs> so uh, it's the, the, the vehicle damage table, instead of being immobilized, it's like move backwards six inches. And it represents oh, yeah. you like slowing down and everybody else speeding up. <laughs> I was looking at all sorts of things. Um, I was looking at being able to drop oil slicks behind you. I was looking yes. so you'd have you would have so, so you wanted to play Gaslands. You just wanted to play Gaslands. Well, I did I didn't know about Gaslands at the time. Um, of course now I do. I'm kinda of like well, there's no point doing tank war Mario Kart. Um but uh Watch your that comment section explode for tank war Mario Kart. <laughs> Watch our paint our miniatures section go viral as Dean and Chris just start 3D printing Mario stuff and putting it onto tanks. Oh, um, but yeah, that, that was one of the things where I was like, how can I make these things? So, so that's a custom mission of a completely different design because you're, yeah. you're suddenly changing the whole game. And obviously it wouldn't necessarily be everyone's cup of tea. Um, but, but certainly for those that are coming down to have a bit of fun, you could, hey, Gorgian, we could actually give the Hellcat some fast movement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wouldn't that be nice we can finally have the fast rule that alessio himself said he wants to add to the game rather than just it's slow and wrecky so only when you're going in a donut on my race <laughs> yeah it's at nurburgring with the elevated sides so i i wonder like that all being said now how l- let's work this backwards so now that we've talked about all of the different components of a mission design how do you actually sit down and write a mission like where do you start then where do i start yeah um because you so don't start actually, at deployment do you no no um so I'll, I'll do my actually let me flick up just so i can read off my sheet here He's got notes. I... He's more prepared than I am, Jacob. Oh, um... Mate, you want to ask me how I prepare to write a mission? It's all in my head <laughs> yeah. as it is. Yeah. Just just on the seat of my pants is figured out from there. But I would say uh, like anybody who has produced media, write a book or anything else, you want to do your very beginning at the end of your work. So the deployment should be the last thing that you do if you want it done right. Yeah, so that's that's I, really wise, actually. I mean, that that yeah. it was a loaded question because I would I would always say never start a deployment because you don't know what your mission looks like. But I think that's that's sage advice all around there, Jacob. So where would you start then, Jacob? Not at deployment. Where where else then? Um, yeah, I, I'd I'd skip right ahead to objectives. Yeah, figure out what what yeah. the idea is of the mission. Yeah, uh, and then I'd work backwards. So what? I would work from what is my ideal goal in a narrative sense. And then yeah. I would place those, those are the core things that make this the mission. Yeah. Then, then how do I want players to play it? Which yeah. would then go into what the deployment is and what special conditions I'd want. And then, then I would go, the thing is you, Dan's done this way more than I have, but my impression yeah. is that, you need to play test this with lots of people who are willing to actually tell you what's right and wrong. And it's going to take several revisions. You're never going to, I would imagine, I'm just putting it out there, yeah. that nobody could actually design a mission and have it be perfect first draft and that's it. No, no. There's, there's, 
I would say about the the three, four, five, six VC on the trail missions that I've written, I've I've sort of gone through three or four revisions, kind of theory crafting them in my head. But usually I just kind of go, does this sound about right? And throw it over the wall. But I have the luxury of doing that because I know that that as long as I've captured the essence of, of history, that the players are going to be on board for it. Because I know those guys aren't there for, for victory points and, and competitive stuff. The victory points are just in there to ultimately decide who won and who lost and and kind of put the the military objective into, into a bolt action kind of translation. Um, but yes, yes, I think that's, you're, you're 100% right in the sense that um, you should play test your missions. But one of the things that I found um, with the mission that I wrote, Bite and Hold, is that if you just put it out there, people will play it. You don't have to ask yeah. them. You don't have to do it. If you just put it up, yeah. people will play it. And then I, I did, there's some people who just gave me feedback without, I didn't even know that they were playing it. They're like, hey man, I played Bite and Hold. And there's a few other people where I've gone, where I've had the message afterwards, you know, they'll put up a post on Bolt Action Perth WA and I'd be like, hey, can you can you let me know what you thought of the mission? Uh, and that sort of thing. But Dan, have you got, you got your notes? You're ready to give us your, your masterworks right yeah. now? Well, yeah. <laughs> that was sarcasm. Look, look, look. <laughs> oh, good, good. Um, hey, stuff's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Free, free publishing, but um, the so I actually have a template that's built. Um, now this the template itself is actually built to replicate the same headers that are in the bolt action missions right now. So I've converted all of my um, custom missions to follow that format, and that's that's more a simplicity thing for me to keep track. But it's also good for your players because that's what they're used to, so they're expecting to see. And I think that's a it's an underappreciated detail actually is. Yeah. is that if you're going to present missions, present them in the way that they are in the rulebook with the same headings. Yeah, yep. and, and where possible, pictures on deployment is beneficial if you are doing something that is odd, <laughs> which virtually all of mine do. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm going to be honest, it doesn't always help. No. <laughs> Sometimes it's just about getting the right diagram and the right sort of <laughs> setup. And then the words that match that diagram. Um, but re readability and, on the right heading is really great yeah. during a yes. match. Yeah. Not having to skim through the description and whatever else. And this is the condition I'm going to reach right now. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of when it comes to how I actually think about putting together a mission or something that I want to be a mission, because I absolutely play test um, all my stuff before you guys ever see it, <laughs> um, is I will, I will create almost a two sentence, um, a two sentence summary of what I think that the mission I want to be about. So for example, um, so this mission's one you haven't seen yet called aerial interference. An aircraft soars overhead, you can't see any distinguishable markings and you chose to dive for cover just to be safe. The aircraft turns around and looks to want to engage and it circles for its another strafing run. So that's your introductory brief to the mission is you're on a battlefield being strafed by an aircraft. Fantastic, wonderful. If you want the reference as to where this has come from, there's a section in, I think it's in Kelly's Heroes, um, where an American fighter strafes their own position and blows up the German equipment they've just liberated. Yeah, yeah. From from somewhere else, and they get quite irate about it. Um, and I was like, I'm going to build a mission around that. Um, everyone complains about rookie pilot. I'm going to create something that sort of rookie pilots both people, and then they can't <laughs> complain. Um, 
generally after that, I'm like, right, okay, so now I, if that's my structure of what I want the mission to represent, what are the, what is the objective of that mission? It can't, and it can't just be survival. Because if you're just doing a survival mission, you may as well play meeting engagement or no man's land. Uh, you, um, survival, you mean kill points, right? As kill points, yeah, yeah, so, okay, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't like creating things that are solely kill point based, yeah. um, because I, I, I feel that the, the actual standard missions essentially do that. Like I might modify the deployment, but then I'm just simply modifying the existing mission. I'm not creating something new. Yeah, that's a good one, point. Something like meeting engagement, yeah. no man's land, and the the other kill point one. I guess demolition being the the closest one is kind of like yeah. you've you've mo- almost done everything around kill points and anything further than that is actually a tweak on that mission it's kind of it's not even a derivative right you're just adjusting some parameters yep which at times i've done as well different things um but this mission has six objective markers um and the idea is that you must control as many objective markers as possible before the strafing aircraft comes back right okay and the strafing aircraft comes back in turn four and turn six Right. So this okay. will be a cumulative scoring yeah. map. So you a cumulative scoring mission. So you at, at turn four, whenever the plane is coming in at turn four, I haven't quite decided if it's the beginning or the end just yet, because um, that needs a bit more play testing. <laughs> but essentially, in turn four, you'll do like a mid-game score up of yeah. who's got what, and then on turn six, you'll do the final score up. Um, now, of course, the plane will strafe things that are out in the open. So if you're in cover or in a, in protected in a building or whatever, you're essentially exempt. But all the objectives have to be in the they're open. Out in the open. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you know, why, why would I make it easy for you guys? Um, so you've got a, your risk reward is now the less units you put in the open, because you randomize across all the units that are available for who gets hit by the airstrike, um, the less units you put in the open, the worse it is. But the more units you put in the open, the more you have to risk sacrificing. <laughs> so have fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting mission. I I look forward to playing it. I don't look forward to getting strafed. Uh, when I have actually, I should. So the strafe run um, is simply it's D3 pins on the unit. If a natural six is rolled, then you take one automatic hit at plus two pen. So yeah, it's, it's not a airstrike as it as it is typically. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a, a budget prep bombardment. Yeah, yeah, budget prep yeah. bombardment. A more a more, um, a more balanced, <laughs> a more balanced <laughs> approach. <laughs> yeah. So there's no uh, there's no um, stinky. Uh, what, what's that British cheese called? The, the stinky one. Stinking bishop. Stinking bishop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's no stinking bishop. Um, what, so, so I've, I've talked about sort of the VC missions that I've written and it's always been kind of, what's the, what's the feeling of the battle that I'm trying to capture when I wrote bite and hold my, my intent was, was completely opposite. I kind of, I didn't have a historical inspiration for bite and hold. Well, I, I didn't have a specific historical, uh, inspiration. I, reading a lot of like the, the, the World War II field manuals, there's a lot of like how to conduct a platoon attack and how to conduct a squad attack. And there's a lot of like moving to a rally line and then you the squad leader then briefs his, all you know, the squad leaders then brief all of their squads. Then they move to a phase line and then they attack from the phase line to um, another phase line. It's all done in like 
you should be at phase gr- phase line green by 10 o'clock and phase line blue by midday and and phase line red by 2 p.m and all that sort of stuff and 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 so looking at that one i was like well okay that's a that's a very fascinating part of history um that not a lot of people care about and also fair enough it's a really dry topic that has no real world application whatsoever so i get it and so i was like well what is the competitive strategic tactical thing i'm actually wanting to challenge players with by doing this and the main one is is um objective placement because military like operations particularly when you get down to company platoon level it's not like very rarely is it go capture this radar installation or go capture this it's usually just like a bunch of guys will look at a map and be like what's the key terrain and they'll circle it and then be like what are the angles of attack to this key terrain okay these ones what are dominating positions to attack and then defend that key terrain and and okay that's that's all done where are we going to start where are we going to put all of our packs where are we going to rally where you know do we have artillery support all of this sort of stuff and i'm like well again super boring logistical stuff that i don't even find interesting in 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 strategy like video games that sort of thing so there's a good chance nobody's going to be fascinated by it so what i want to do is okay how do i convert that into a game mechanic and so what i did was objective placement so now I'm challenging my players to go, you have to identify key terrain that you identify as important and um, key terrain that you identify as where you're going to attack from. But then I think there's one scenario that does objective placement, but you kind of alternate and you can kind of place them anywhere and there's a minimum distance and stuff. I'm like, I don't know. The, the, The American commander doesn't know where the German commander has put his key terrain and his dominating positions, right? Like you have no idea where he's attacking from and it was where his platoon headquarters are. You can make a pretty good guess because you have access to the same terrain features. And so what I did was there's a 12 inch bubble in the middle um, from the center of the objective and players roll off. And the first objective that you place has to be in your half of that 12 inch anywhere in that. And then your opponent will then place it in their circle. And then you will then place your objective somewhere in your deployment zone, which is 12 inches in your long board edge. And basically by doing this, you end up with a constellation of four strategically placed objectives, two of which you had influence over and two of which you didn't. But it gives you kind of like this vector that the two forces are going to meet on. And then I was like, okay, so now I've kind of captured that bit of history and I've put a game on a game, right? So now there's a little objective placement game. And I didn't set a minimum distance because I, I didn't want that to be a limiting factor. I wanted, if some madman was going to be crazy enough to put both of his objectives on top of each other or within a couple of inches, like be my well. guest, man. <laughs> <laughs> but then the, the flip side of that is, okay, I need to reward my players for not just holding more objectives than your opponent because that's pretty cautious, right? You're not necessarily seizing ground at this point. What you need to do is you need to just decisively destroy your your objective or decisively outmaneuver your opponent, right? Because that, that was a big thing. It was outmaneuver, not necessarily destruction. We talk about, you know, the, the encirclement of army groups and stuff like that. That is not a destruction. That is an outmaneuver. Uh, it's not an outgun. It's an outmaneuver. So what I did was I set your the victory points to be basically doubled based on distance so the one in your deployment zone is worth one 
the next one along is worth two, the next most distant one is worth four, and the next most distant one is worth eight victory points. So now, if you capture your opponent's headquarters, but you lose all of the other ones, you don't win, but it's eight to seven VP. And because it, two victory points is, is a win. You don't win, but that's still like, by fully committing to basically destroying your opponent's platoon headquarters, you're rewarded for that aggressive play and that outmaneuvering that seizing ground, which is exactly what I want to be rewarding my players for and encourage them doing. So it still becomes a game of, holding two objectives but it becomes a game of holding the right two objectives because if you and so that's that's the big thing that that i really wanted to to kind of capture in that one and so that one i did i did completely opposite to how i do in my narrative ones it was like what are the competitive challenges i want to give to my players and one of them is basically terrain analysis by objective placement and then the other one is of course now that you've now that you've planned, you have to commit to your plan. And that also means that, you know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. You have to adapt your plan as you go because you can't shift your objectives. Not now, you can't, but you can shift your battle plans. And I think those are hopefully, I'm, you know, I could just be completely overselling uh, the the mission and its design, but that was that was the things that I tried to achieve was, was get players to think about the objective placement terrain and then how they're going to attack and approach and and of course defend those objectives that they seize hence bite and hold so i'll, I'll also put put that one up in the description uh, description if you guys want to play it give us some feedback in the comments uh and yeah so uh, that was where i was going with that one and i was hoping that between the three of us we can give people some strategies about how to build missions mm. uh, i like um I look forward to play testing that one. And not <laughs> it was a tough one. Yeah. yeah. Damn my S two. You guys also did play it doubles, which is which is not yeah. how the mission was written. That, yeah, that, yeah. But that made yeah. it really fun. That, that, <laughs> I mean, that, that was fantastic. It was a fun game. I had yeah. I had fun and I was just spectating. <laughs> War correspondent, you were. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Jacob, that, that's a really good point, though. Is like. Um, because you you guys went in to play it with doubles because you wanted more people to participate in the game. Yeah, yeah. And then what you noticed is that that radically changed how oh. the mission was played because you're you've you've doubled down on your resources to get it done. Yeah. Um, and that hell of a meat grinder in the middle. My God. Oh, yeah. gosh. <laughs> everyone, everyone loves the vortex of death. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> thank you, Michael Andrews. Um, I. I do think that, you know, and, and to cap all of this off, a good custom mission has to be fun to play. Yeah. Like, it, it, if it's too much of a logistical operation, which I've I've made several missions where it's just like, okay, like, I literally have to feel like I am on an English comprehensive assessment to understand <laughs> what this mission actually wants me to do. So you, you've got to be careful on that point of view, but, but it should be scalable to any number of players where possible, not always going to be achievable, but where possible, but it needs to be fun because if your mission's not fun, the reality is people won't play it. That That's just, again, that's just how it goes. If, it, if it's any people will do anything you want, but they won't do it a second time. If it's no good. <laughs> yeah. Um, fun and simple and, is what it needs to be. And if it's a little bit complex, you can chuck a diagram in there that's just going to make it so much easier for your players 
Absolutely. Diagram's always a good idea. Not 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 that it and helps. If, <laughs> and if you're low if you're low on inspiration, go YouTube, go Mark Felton, just find one video that just really hits you and just go, <laughs> all right, this this is this is what we're playing today. We have to emulate this because there's just so much interesting stuff within these five years of war. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and if you want to know about other weird stuff that has happened, you can check out our GNT episodes where we talk about weird, weird battles of World War Two. So we got Definitely. a new one coming up, don't we? Yeah, the next one's actually going to be a little bit different. Um, GNT episode three. Uh, Tyler and I did it. Basically, we did a hobby hangout. So stay tuned for that one. We talked. We built tanks. We talked tanks. We painted tanks, uh, and uh, and we we swore it was actually. I think we kept alternating which one of us was missing a part and there would just be this like complete moment of silence and concentration. And then you'd hear this little click followed by a very loud yeah. swear word. And that, that was alternating. <laughs> so it was, it was really nice to know that it was a, a universal experience for not just me, but also for Tyler and, and hopefully for everybody. Or we just managed to find the two clumsiest model building buffoons and we stuck them, <laughs> stuck them on, on two ends of, of a, basically a cup and string. <laughs> I have dropped so many parts in my garage. It's not funny. <laughs> I will say Actually, that scale have... kits are not fun. Don't do this stuff. Just stick <laughs> with Rubicon. No, it's easy. Each I, I think, Yeah. As, as, as Tyler is unfortunately learning out, yeah. a scale kit is very different to a war game model kit. Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. they, they share similarities in what they look like, but their construction is completely different. So that would be my only... Um, I, I love scale model kits, and so for me it's not... I'm, I'm just like, bring it on. Um, but when Tyler opened up his tracks and he sent us all these messages, they were individually linked. And I'm like, and I'm like Tyler, that's not even the worst of it. Some of them you have to individually pin. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> when he's, and that's one of those things where, where even even as people who do scale models, you you and I, Dan, are cut from different cloth because he's, he's, he like sent us this like Ziploc bag of track links and I just like, I just like vomit emoji, give me a vinyl track any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, I, and I jump straight in going like, oh, but it's okay. You can do it like this and like this. And he's just like, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, you know, what makes Where's... a good custom mission, guys? So that's one statement to, to summarize. Jacob, go ahead. Man, I've said it before. It's got to be simple and fun. That's the that's the key. Uh, it's got to It's got to present a challenge to your players. Uh, whether it's a, a narrative challenge or a competitive challenge or both, it has to challenge your players somehow. Yeah. And I think probably for me, the last piece that makes a good custom mission is it needs to be replayable. Um, so it, it, it can't be a predictable outcome. Um, and that that you won't mm. learn until you play test it, as yeah. I found with several of my missions. Um, I was... I was like, oh, if I apply this with this, and then all of a sudden I was like, this is the same outcome. Um, <laughs> rewind, rewind, try to, this is the same outcome. <laughs> so, so just the, the replayability, you're, you you want to make sure that your mission can't just be um, essentially passed over and ignored because naturally through the progression of the game, it will lead to an outcome that is the same. So, um, but I think, yeah, I think all three of those points are, 
fantastic things to aim for. Um, and don't be afraid to give a mission a go to, to, to try and write one. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of, um, where do you guys find missions typically? Obviously, well, not obviously, but where I find them is just the Bolt Action Facebook groups in yeah. the file section. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that you can get a handful of the BAA stuff on maybe some old archives of WWPD. Um, I think they've, they've republished them or they're about to. And I think you can find a handful of them on the Warlord game site as well. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are several places I know where they, and you've mentioned several of them already, that, that where they get put up. The other thing to, like, when people post players packs for, even for like things that are not in your country, download the players pack. Check yeah. out the missions that, um, you know, try some account. Uh, like I've still got the juggernaut ones where I'm trying to figure out exactly what I want or don't want to try from their selectors to then try their missions. Um, but, but essentially, you know, they put their pack up and they review it all the time. They get their stuff out. Um, we've obviously got yeah, Bolt Action Alliance, um, but there are several, like we've just had several really big recent tournaments come through, Welsh Open, um, World Team Championship. Uh, yeah. Spanish nationals, I think, were or one of us was going. Um, like several events that have run through, um, most of them have their players packs available that you can go in and just look at what missions we're playing, and they're kind of all different. So um, when you do see them that are available, um, that's an easy way to to pick up some extra missions. That that um, actually go ahead, Jacob. I'll, I'll just throw it out there. If you're not a social media guy, you don't really like being clued into Facebook and whatever else, the Warlord Games official Discord is absolutely jam-packed yeah. with like the notifications for this and how many tabs of, of actual channels they have is just endless. So I'm sure you can find something there if you're not all that keen on being on uh, Facebook or otherwise. Yeah, I was just... What what Dan there was, was saying just reminded me there's a... Um, I apologize if I pronounce your name uh, incorrectly, Bo uh, Mortensen on Facebook. Mm -hmm. He does, he runs a YouTube channel. I think it's called Bolt Action Tutorials or something like this. Uh, Bo is, is one of the like top players in Europe. And the way that he breaks down the game and talks about it, he gets a whiteboard out and talks about examples and stuff. Oh. Um, they are really, really good. The, the The wealth of knowledge that's in there is incredible. And he just recently did a did a series on uh, WTC World Team Championships Bolt Action with Alastair Unicom, who's one of uh, the best players in in, Brit in the in the British Isles. Basically, I think he's he's Scottish and he's definitely up there. And he was team captain for for the Scots. I think Spain actually took out the, the World Team Championships, I think, for the second time in a row. But, yeah, you can check all that out on, on Bo's channel. It's it's really great content. And it was one of those things where, again, I'm not affiliated with him or anything like that. He probably doesn't even know we exist. But it was just one of those things. I scrolled past it. I was like, this stuff's really good. And if anybody's keen on bolt action and learning how to get better, his channels, his tutorials are, are really great. They're all really well bite-sized, like 20 or 30 minutes and he just goes through the content really well. So if you're keen for some more of this kind of stuff, um, uh, uh, the stuff that we've done on the channel about how to get better at bolt action, you absolutely have to check out his channel. I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for checking in for HMG episode 20. Congratulations, 500 subs, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for joining me on this cast today, Gorchin and Dan. Um, and we'll check you next, next time. Please follow us on Facebook. Add us on um, all your favorite um, podcast apps. 
but you can always check us out YouTube slash Western Tabletop. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.